Amen. If you have your copy of Scripture, go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I just want to say thank you again to Clay who stood in for me last week and as we uh, enabled me to be fully with the family and the, the passing of Janet's dad. But picking up our study in the book of Acts, and if you're new with us this morning, uh, really for about the last five, six years, we, we have kind of changed the way we present things on Sunday morning, uh, meaning that we used to kind of do series and stuff like that, but we've started picking a book of the Bible and just kind of going verse by verse uh, through, through the Scripture. And so we've been through the book of Mark. It took us like 52 weeks to do that. Uh, Life of David, second, first and second Samuel was about 32 weeks, and who knows where this one's going to take. We're, we're in about week 20, I don't know. I don't know. We're up there. But anyway, uh, but, but just kind of going through verse for verse, and what's incredible about it, I believe, is just how relevant God's Word is. No matter where we are, there's something going on in the Word, uh, in the world, and, 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 or something in our lives, and it just seems like God speaks to us. I was talking with Greg uh, between, the, between Sunday school and and, and, and as he said, man, it's just the, the beauty of being a teacher uh, or a preacher is that, or one of the good things is, is it holds you accountable to dig into the word and you actually learn more. It's more. And so some of you, you need to be teaching <laughs> and some of you need to, you need to step forward. God's put a little ember in your heart and you don't need to be lazy with that. You need to rekindle the gift God has put in your heart. Amen. Don't, don't just sit back and wait for somebody else to do it. Be who God called you to be. That's a whole different sermon. Don't get me going there. But anyway, but we're, we're going. We're continuing our study. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've seen uh, how God has begun to mobilize the early church, the new believers, or the early believers, uh, to other parts of the world. And last time, uh, we, we followed the story of a man named Philip uh, in, in Samaria. You remember, Philip was one of the seven uh, that they selected uh, as deacons to, to minister to the widows and orphans in, uh, orphans, orphans in, in Jerusalem. Uh, but, but after the stoning of Stephen, a wide range of persecution uh, broke out. And so Philip, along with many other believers, left Jerusalem, which was their comfort zone. Remember, they, they, they were wanting to stay there. and just kind of, it's like camp. You want to stay at camp. Uh, but persecution broke out, and it scattered them. It made them leave. I mean, there's nothing like a little bit of persecution to make you leave your comfort zone. Sometimes we wonder why, you know, God uses opposition and persecution in our life. Have you noticed that? And I wonder sometimes why we're so surprised when that happens. Why, why we act like God is lost control of the world when a little bit of opposition or a little bit of persecution breaks out. It's like we're surprised when we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus said to expect it. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And in this world, you're going to have trouble. So stop living like this is your final destination. I mean, that's what a lot of us do. We get so hung up on the here and now that we miss out on what God wants to do in even the hard times of life. Sometimes God allows persecution to get us out of our comfort zone, and that's where Philip is. And what's so amazing about Philip was how sensitive uh, he was to the Spirit's leading in his life. It's like he was totally in step with God, going where God led him to go. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, he began, he went to Samaria, a place where most Jews never wanted to go. Uh, and, and he preached the gospel, performed miracles, and last time we saw an entire region, entire town, respond to the gospel. Revival broke out. How do you know? Verse 8 says that 
There was great joy in that city. That's a sign of revival in our lives. There's joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. There was great joy because the oppression that they had suffered under Simon the sorcerer had been defeated. And so we're picking up the story in, in verse 25, chapter 8, verse 25. It says, says this, after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. And they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Verse 26, as for Philip... An angel of the Lord said to him, go down south, or go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, don't just skip over that. Think about what that first part of this said. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Does that sound odd to you? How many of y'all had ever had an angel speak to you? How many of you ever had God speak to you? It's really not that odd. I mean, you know, I've never heard an audible voice of God, but I've heard as I've studied the word, as I've spent time in prayer, I've heard God speak louder than a loud voice, than an audible voice. I've had God speak to me through another believer or sitting under the preaching where, where God, the, the time that tone totally changed the trajectory of my life well, it was one Sunday when I walked into a church service after I had been living in rebellion against God to the point that I had a repossessed car. I lived way beyond my means, and I had a repossessed car. My life was totally out of control. And I remember walking into a service on a Sunday morning, about 1,100 people in the place, and I'm sitting about third of the, third, third of the way back, and I'm sitting there, and the preacher is preaching about money. And he makes this statement. He said, there's been a many a young man or a young woman that God has called into the ministry, but because they overextended themselves financially, they couldn't respond to the call. That, that was, it was like nobody else in that room. It may not have hit on anybody, but that hit on me. Because <laughs> it's like God said, Dan, be who you uh, called you to be. Stop running from me. And so there, there are times when God speaks to us, and sometimes he uses our circumstances, but he's never going to speak contrary to his word. And so as we spend time in prayer, we can hear God speak. And the way that I know that it was God speaking is that it changed my focus. It moved me in a different direction, or it showed me something that I, that I hadn't seen before. Now, here's the deal. Truth is, God speaks all the time, but some of us aren't listening. And, and men, we know about this. Uh, last week, when our family was home, Gabe, my youngest son, and his wife, Elizabeth, uh, they were up from Phoenix, and we were sitting there talking, and somehow the conversation got around to uh, Janet talking about something that I had not heard her say. And, and, and Elizabeth said, Gabe is a lot like his dad. <laughs> she even had a term for it. She, she said that sometimes Gabe doesn't hear because he's not practicing active listening. That's our first point this morning. To hear God speak, we've got to practice active listening. We've got to practice active listening. And to do that, we've got to get quiet. We've got to remove the distractions in our life. The, the psalmist said, be still and know that I'm God. 
And to tease that out a little bit, and I put these in your handout, if we're going to hear God's voice, we've got to want to hear God's voice. Because we're not going to hear God speak if we're not pursuing an intimate relationship with him, if we're not getting in the word, if we're not serious about our, our, our faith. Now, how many school teachers we got in here? Right, raise your hand real high. If you can get them that high, you may be sore from all week, but working out all week. But you got several teachers in here. Uh, we're, we're, man, give them a hand. Uh, don't you love teachers? We love them. Uh, most teachers love to teach. Truth is, most teachers today, they have to put up with so much other stuff that they don't really get to teach. But here's what I know about a teacher. And my, my mom was a teacher. My dad even was, when he was sometimes he was a bivocational that he taught and he, and he, pre, he preached. But, but, but t- teachers don't waste a lot of time on students that don't really want to learn. I mean, because it, that, that sucks the life out of a teacher. To try to get somebody to learn that doesn't want to learn. And if they, a good teacher will make every attempt to motivate and encourage and connect with those kids. But, but they, they will give most of their best attention to the kids who are most receptive. And I think that's, that, that some of that, that's kind of like what the Lord is with us, the way he works with us. You're not going to hear from God unless you hunger to hear from God. Unless you hunger to learn what he wants to teach you, to hear God speak. We have to want to. Second, we, we have to learn to recognize God's voice. And, and we do this by, by reading Scripture, by studying the Bible, by building a relationship with Him through prayer. And as we, we become familiar with God's voice and the Word, uh, that we'll be able to recognize the voices that aren't from God. And, and again, God's voice is consistent. If, if, if the voice, this, what, what is not God's voice, if you hear God say something that's contrary from his word, you're not hearing God. That God will never ask you to murder or steal or lie or commit adultery or manipulate another person or desert your family. If the voice or impression contradicts the word of God, it's not from God. Another, another thing, if what you're considering doing will not bring glory to God, then it's not a message from God. Third thing, we, we've got to stop focusing on our will and begin to focus on his will. And that, that's what Philip is doing here. That's what he's doing. If, if he had pursued his own will, he would have never left Jerusalem in the first place, and he would have for sure wanted to stay in Samaria because that's where the revival was. But, but instead, he was willing to go where God wanted him to go. And if you and I are going to receive direction from God for our lives, we have to stop being so absorbed with ourselves and begin to seek the Lord. And so, so the angel tells Philip to head out toward the desert, which again uh, had to have seemed a little weird because there was a revival going on in Samaria, and, and Philip was right in the middle of that. Though it wasn't what he expected, he obeyed and, and, and trusted God's wisdom more than his own. And he joined the long list of others throughout Scripture uh, who obeyed God when it didn't make sense, like Noah did when he built a boat in the desert. And when Abraham, when he left his home and his business and his extended family to go to an unknown land, and Gideon, who went into battle against a massive army with only 300 men. Each of them obeyed a 
a, a rather, strange, uh, rather strange command from God. Second, at least our second takeaway is this, is that, that God doesn't speak to someone who isn't willing to obey. He's not going to speak to you if you're not willing to obey. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord are, are, are on a search. He's looking to and fro throughout the whole earth, and he's looking for that young man, the young woman, uh, whose heart is completely his. And when he finds a person like that, he shows up in their world. God's on a search for that person who's going to take him at his word and is going to walk out what he tells them to do. And when he finds a heart like that, not looking for perfection, but looking for a willing heart, it is going to show up in power. Third takeaway is this, and we're going to see this in this story, that, that we have to walk with Jesus before we can share Jesus. We've got to walk with Jesus before we can share Jesus. And so, so Philip obeyed. He sets out for the desert. Verse 27 says, and on his way, he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a, a eunuch of a great of great authority under the queen of Ethiopia. And so we see two things from there. We see that first, uh, that, that he was from Africa, that he, and this shows us that the gospel is for everyone, but we also see that he's a eunuch. And you say, what's a eunuch? Good question. A, a eunuch was a man who had been emasculated surgically. He had been castrated. And that this was common practice back then for eunuchs because a eunuch was responsible for watching over the, the, the king's harem or the, the king's posse of women. And so if you have somebody protecting the king's women, then if it's going to be a man, he can't have a desire to be with a woman. And so that's why he was emasculated. And so he's an important official, uh, and he's given other responsibilities. But as you continue to, to read, uh, you, you see that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, which identifies him as a man who was seeking after God. Verse 28, but now he's on his way home, and he's returning to Jerusalem. He's seated in his carriage, and, as, and he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah, a book he probably picked up while he was at the temple. And verse 29 says, The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk alongside, beside his carriage. So still, Philip stayed near the carriage, the chari chariot. Why? To look for an open door where he could share the good news of Jesus. And there's a lesson here that if you and I are going to be an effective witness, if we're going to make a mark with our life, if we are going to do what Jesus tell, commands every, every one of his believers to go and tell, to, to, to reach those, to make disciples everywhere you go, if that's going to be true of our lives, that we've got to be, we've got to spend time near the chariots. You say, what does that mean? Several things. First, that we need to share Jesus. To share Jesus, we have to look for open doors and opportunities. And these come in all shapes and sizes. My, my dad, uh, how many of you ever said uh, that you don't want to be anything like you're one of your parents? Anybody ever said that? My dad would talk to anything that moved. I mean, I'd just go in the store with dad, just don't talk. Let's just get in and get out. 
but he was always looking for somebody to talk to. And strange enough, that's kind of been me too. I mean, I, I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for what he passed down to me, my mom as well, uh, but because they taught me to look at the people around me. And so I, I can't get out at Price Shopper. I can't go into the store without looking for people. The first thing, I, I scour the parking lot looking for especially a little old lady that's unloading her, her groceries, and I just want to go over. Let, let me help you with that. Let me take your cart. I just, they, they instilled that in me. And so the, the, they, they put in me just, don't, don't, and, and man, I know it's, there's some days I don't do it well. I'm not saying I do this so well all the time, but I remember this one afternoon at Price Shopper, and I'm checking out, and I always tend to just kind of uh, begin a conversation with the person checking out. I said, how you doing, and, and how's your day going? And she began to tear up. And I don't remember what she was going through, but she told me about a very real situation that was, she was going through right there, just tears coming down her face. And uh, fortunately that day, there wasn't anybody behind me. And I said, could I pray for you? She said, yeah. And so I just reached over, and in the middle of Price Chopper, I just began, God, would you just be with, be with this lady? God, do you know everything that she's going through? God, would you just give her strength? God, help her to see you in this. You begin looking for opportunities. If, if we're going to reach one, we've got to look for the open doors. We've got to look for the opportunities. And, and, and we've got to practice active listening. And when you're at work, that, that person that's talking about a crisis they're going through, or a big decision uh, that they're going to make, you, you wait for the time you, and, and you, to where you can share a story. You share the hope that you have in Jesus. At that time when you didn't know what to do, when maybe you didn't have the finances available or whatever, but you poured your heart out to God and, and, and he showed up in a mighty way and you begin to share that. Or maybe you're at school and, and, and you're looking for an opportunity and you begin to walk in the lunchroom and instead of just going to the place where all of your friends go, you look across at the new kid that's there and he's sitting at a table by himself and you, you just kind of go up to him and you begin a conversation. That, that's, that's hard to do in the beginning. But the, but the more you do it, you begin to get, you, you, you begin to get, it gets easier for you. And, and over time, what happens is you begin to, with the conversation, is you begin to build a, a relationship with that person to, to where you have, they, one day you'll have an open door to be able to speak about the hope that you found in Jesus. Many of you are in a, a season of parenting right now, and that, that's, that, that's both an incredible, scary time of life and an exciting time of life. Because we talked about it before, parenting is a learn-as-you-go process. And you're going to make a lot of, lot, lot of mistakes along the way. There are going to be times when you're out of control, you feel overwhelmed. And you need other parents, parents that, that are walking some in the same season you're walking through. But you, you better have somebody in your life that's, walked, that's already been through the season you've walked through can tell you how they handled something. And man, you know, this whole thing of walking with kids these days, it's a whole, you know, even student ministry. I was in it for 25 years, but man, it's, it's a different ballgame right now. Here's what I do know. Everybody longs for relationship. And so one day you're going to be through that season of parenting, and you're going to be the one that, that can encourage and coach other people behind you. And here's what I know about me is that a lot of times I share from what my mistakes. I share from my mistakes that this is what I did wrong. If I had it to do over again, I would do this different. 
but, but, you, but you continue to show up. You continue to walk or stand by the chariot. And as you do, you build a relationship to where one day, in a non-preachy way, you can begin to share the, the hope and, and, and strength that you found in knowing Jesus. Again, we have to walk with Jesus before we can share Jesus. And we have to pray uh, and look for open doors. And to do that, we must stay close and be engaged and pay attention. Uh, second point in your notes is this, is if we're going to reach non-Christians, at some point we got to be around non-Christians. And the Bible has a lot to say about not forsaking the time together with, with other believers because it's there that we grow and it, it's essential for our growth and our strength. But, but we can't always stay in our holy huddles and isolate ourselves and hope for an opportunity to share the gospel. We need to look for the opportunities to be in contact, uh, contact with those outside of the church. And we must walk alongside people and earn an invite, which means that we, when we talk about number three, we've got to walk out of our comfort zone. Now, pick up back in the story. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. So Philip ran over, and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip answered, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I, uh, how can I unless someone instructs me? And so he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and, and to sit with him. Notice from that, that that Philip starts where the man is. He starts with the eunuch's understanding. Do you understand? He didn't go up there and start filling him with all the stuff that he knows. He, he starts with where the man is. He begins there. It shows us that, that as we seek to be a witness as we seek to share the gospel with somebody that we need to meet people where they are. We need to begin to see things from their perspective. Now, hey, have you noticed there's a lot of people out there that are way different from us? Anybody? And, and unfortunately, we, we live in a world where, especially politically, anybody that's not like us, we just want to shut off. We just want to cut off. But have you ever tried to put yourself in those people's shoes? Th those people that are totally different from you. I remember hearing a story of a, a youth pastor. He's now a pastor, but, he, but he, he did student ministry for a number of years like I did. And, and, and I remember him sitting with a kid that was struggling with sexual identity. He began to meet with him. And he asked him this question. What does it feel like to be you? Yeah, that, that person that's standing on the street corner that's, that's wanting money. Sometimes I give, sometimes I don't. I don't every time, but I always want to say, I always want to hear what God wants to say in that, if he wants to use me in that situation. But have you ever stopped to consider what does that guy feel like? What does that lady, what, what, what does it feel like to be them? What, what, what does it feel like to get up in the morning not knowing where your next meal is going to come from? So somehow we, we've got, we need to begin to engage and build relationships and walk with people long enough so that one day we can earn the right to speak the truth. Philip, Philip asked the eunuch if he understood what he was reading. And the man 
replied, how, how can I unless someone instructs me? And so he asked Philip to come up and uh, to, to, to come up to the carriage and to sit with him. And the passage of scripture he had been reading was, was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and, and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Of course, this is an Old Testament scripture that, that talks about Jesus, talking about Jesus. And, and instead of assuming what he knew, the, the heart of the eunuch, Philip takes the time to find out uh, where the man is, and he begins to walk with him towards Jesus. And he says, does what, does what you're reading make sense to you? In verse 35, he, he, so, he, so he says, so beginning with the name, the same scripture, Philip told him the, the good news about Jesus. He knew the gospel message, which is the, the fourth point to share. Jesus, we must know the gospel message. Started with a passage in Isaiah, and he explained the, the, the message of salvation to the eunuch. And the simple presentation of the gospel resulted in his salvation. We'll see that, that he confessed Christ as his Savior and Lord. Look at verse 36. And as they rode along, they, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Well, one commentary that, that I read this week pointed out that, that as a black man and as a eunuch, uh, that, that he wasn't welcome in the temple. That he was seen as a, as a second-class citizen, seen as being someone that was different. And so, so with that in mind, you kind of look at that verse and you, where he says, why can't I be baptized? It takes on a different meaning. Luke's original manuscript omits the details of, of the man's conversion. Verse 37 Verse 37 doesn't appear in, in all in the earliest manuscripts. In fact, it only uh, is shown in some of the Western family of manuscripts. But, but at some point, a scribe uh, most likely inserted it into the text because without it, it seems a little bit strange uh, that the eunuch was baptized with no mention of his conversion. So the New King James Version says this. If you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And the man answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38. And at that point, Philip ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and, and, and Philip baptized him. Watch this. One of the reasons that some of us never share our faith with other people is because we don't know how. We're not confident. That if we began the conversation, we wouldn't know how to lead that person into, rece into receiving knowledge of faith in Jesus Christ. Well, one of the, the, the old... My, my mom used to always carry tracks with her. Something like this. This is a track called the Romans Road and I'm going to hand you, as you go walk out today, if you want one, they're going to give you one of these. But 
my mom used to always have tracks, and that was just an open door. Uh, by, by the way, I've seen some Christians leave a, t- a track instead of a tip at a restaurant. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. If you leave a track, leave a double tip. You ever seen those tracks that look like a dollar bill or something like that? Don't do that. But, but sometimes these tracks, they can, they can help us just walk uh, people in, in the conversation, just leading in the conversation. And many times you can just kind of hold this out and let the person read it with you and stuff like that. This is called the, the Romans Road. And then there's five verses from the book of Romans that, that, that cover the basic points of the gospel. And the first problem, the first thing that you discover is that we all have a problem. Everybody in this room, doesn't matter how rich or how poor you are, all of us have the same. It's a common denominator in this room in, in, in the, that, that we are sinners, that we rebel against God. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which means that the second point is that we deserve punishment. But we're offered, in Jesus, we're offered eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve, but, but the gift of God is eternal life. And then the point number three is that God's remedy for our sin is for Jesus to take a punishment on the cross and to pay our debt, pay what we owe. That's why Romans 5, 8 says God showed his love for us in, the, the, in this, that Christ laid down his life for us. Romans 10, 9 says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What's, what's necessary for salvation is to believe who Jesus is and what he has done, that, that he is Lord. He's not just another man, and he's, he's risen literally from the dead. Not only must we believe the facts, but we must trust in those facts because Romans 10, 13 says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, meaning that anyone who sincerely comes to Jesus will have eternal life. And armed with these verses, you and I can lead someone to salvation. Remembering all the while that it's not our technique, but it's God's grace that makes people new. He just calls us to be obedient. He calls us to be sensitive. You conclude Philip's story. Philip's a great story, and it's another reminder that God cares about every individual, that God so loved that one man, uh, that, that he took Philip out of a successful situation so that he could find new life. Continue to read in verse 39, when, when Philip's work was done, we're, we're told that, that when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Think about that. <laughs> I mean, you get done baptizing, he's out of there. He snatched away, and the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azosus. It's like Philip just disappeared, and then he reappeared in another place, and he preached the good news at this new place and at every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. And again, in the story, we're reminded 
of Philip's faithfulness that, that he was willing to serve God wherever it pleased the Lord to use him. The final takeaway is this. To reach the one, we must be the one. We must be the one. If, if we really want people, if we really want to be the people of God, we, we, we need to do the work of God, and there we will find the Spirit of God. Now, that, will be, that must be true in our lives. We must learn to be sensitive to God's voice and, and to, to, to be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We, we must listen to and engage with the people around us, and we must take advantage of the opportunities that we're given. You stand for prayer. I want to give a few application questions to you. Just heads bowed, eyes closed. Are you the one? Are you making a point to cultivate a relationship with God? Are you growing in your faith? Are you learning to listen to his voice? Are you learning to recognize his voice so when the, the competing voices of the world speak that you recognize that's not God? So are you the one? Second question is this. Who is your one? Is there someone who needs you to stand by their chariot? to someone that you can tell about Jesus. And if you're a parent, there, there, there is someone. And your calling is at home. But for everyone in this room, God has strategically placed us where we are. And he wants us to show up. He wants us to be faithful. Last question, are you equipped to share the gospel with someone who asks you? Are you the one who is you one? Who is your one? And the truth of the matter is, are, are you equipped? I mean, I can I can argue myself out of that every time because I never feel adequate. I never feel adequate. Any time that, that, that it's time for where I feel God prompting me to share my faith with someone, that there's always another voice that wants me to say, don't do that. But I, I recognize that, that God calls me to be obedient. That if there's a heart that's going to change, it's as a result that he went before us. And so we just got to be faithful. We got to show up. Will you be the one who is your one? Who's that person that God's placed in your life? And then maybe somebody new in your life, and you, you're just going to sit there and, and just wait. God, would you just show me the right time? God, show, show me, give me the right opportunity. God, show me the open door. Father, when the time comes, give me the words to speak. Father, I know that any time 
uh, that we share this, we, we share the plan of salvation. God, there's always the potential for someone in the room uh, that doesn't know you. Father, on my way to church this morning, I prayed this morning that, that there would be some today that would come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. you as Lord. If that's your desire this morning, nobody's looking around. I just want you to just raise your hand and say, that's me. I, I want Jesus. And anybody just around the room, just raise your hand and put it right back down. See that? I see that hand. Anybody else? I want to know you. I give my life to you. Father, we thank you that you loved us enough to bear our, the punishment of our sins on the cross and to pay our debt. Father, for those of us that know you, God, help us to live our lives in such a way that we're grateful for that. Father, as we walk out of this room, as we go back into the mission field, God, help us to be keenly aware of the people around us. Help us to look for those opportunities just to say a prayer or to encourage or to bless those around us, Lord. May people look at our lives and think of you. That's the cry of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you.